0: good morning good morning everybody we're so glad you can join us at church this morning would you guys stand as we begin in worship we're gonna sing about God's grace who's grateful for God's grace I sure am all right
1: this morning, I just, myself, I just kind of feel like I'm, my brain's going a thousand miles per hour, I feel kind of pulled in a couple different directions, and a little discombobulated, and so I just, as we sang that song just now, just like, rejoicing in the fact that whatever you got going on, like, we're here to, to worship the God whose grace is enough, right, whatever shortcomings we may feel in ourselves coming in this morning, whatever struggles we may be having, we're here to worship a God who's, Grace is enough, and it's the joy to be here with you to worship that God alongside you. If you are new or visiting, my name is Tim. I'm the senior pastor here at Three Lake Evangelical Free Church, and we are glad that you're here with us. If you are new and there's anything you'd like to let us know about yourself, there's a connect card in the seat in front of you. We invite you to fill that out, let us know any information you'd like us to know about yourself, and you can put those cards in the box on the, on the back wall on your way out this morning. The boxes are also where tithes and offerings can be placed. Again, we're just glad that you're here with us to worship with us. A couple of announcements to bring to your attention. One is that next Sunday, following the service, if you are helping with Fun Club, um, there will be a meeting following... A service during the Sunday school hours to kind of talk through that. So we invite you to make that a, a priority to be part of that. And then the following Sunday on October 8th we'll have a hymn sing here at church at four o'clock um, to worship together in that way. And there's a couple of more announcements coming up. I'm going to invite uh, Nate Coach up to kind of tell you a little bit more about a few more things that are coming up here.
2: Good morning. Yes, that's so, says Sam, and we shouldn't be here at all if we'd known more about it before we started, but I suppose it's often that way. The brave things and the old tales and songs, Mr. Frodo. Adventures, as I used to call them. I used to think that they were things that the wonderful folk of the stories went out and looked for it because they wanted them, because they were exciting and life was a bit dull. A kind of a sport, as you might say. But that's not the way of it, with the tales that really mattered or the ones that stay in the mind. Folk seemed to have just been landed in them, usually. Their paths were laid that way, But as you put it. But I expected they had lots of chances, like us, of turning back, only they didn't. And if they had, we shouldn't know because they'd have been forgotten. We hear about those as just went on and not all to a good end, mind you, at least not to what folk inside a story and not outside it call a good end. You know, coming home and finding things all right, though not quite the same, like old Mr. Bilbo, but those aren't always the best tales to hear, though they may be the best tales to get landed in. I wonder what sort of a tale we've fallen into. I wonder, said Frodo, but I don't know, and that's the way of a real tale. Take any one that you're fond of. You may know or guess what kind of a tale it is, happy ending or sad ending, but the people in it don't know, and you don't want them to. No, sir, of course not. Baron now, he knew, or he never thought he was going to get that Silmaril from the iron crown of thangorodrim and yet he did, and that was a worse place and a blacker danger than ours. But that's a long tale, of course, and goes on past the happiness and into grief and beyond, and the Silmaril went on and came to Erendil, "'And why, sir, I never thought about that before. "'We've got, you've got some of the light of it "'in that starglass the lady gave you. "'Why, to think of it, we're in the same tale still. "'It's going on. Don't the great tales never end?' "'No, they never end as tales,' said Frodo. "'But the people in them come and go when their parts ended. "'Our part will end later, or sooner. "'And then we can have some rest and some sleep,' said Sam. "'He l- laughed grimly. "'I mean just that, Mr. Frodo.' I mean plain, ordinary rest and sleep and waking up to a morning's work in the garden. I'm afraid that's all I'm hoping for all the time. All the big, important plans are not for my sort. Still, I wonder if we shall ever be put into the songs or tales. We're in one now, of course, but I mean put into words, you know, told by the fireside or read out of a great big book with red and black letter- letters years and years afterwards. And people will say, let's hear about Frodo and the ring, and they'll say, yes, that's one of my favorite stories. Frodo was very brave, wasn't he, Dad? Yes, my boy. The famousest of the hobbits, and that's saying a lot. Um, so as some of you know, we've been on our own sort of adventure um, the last couple of years. We've had um, various people in this room um, coming. We've been leading, I've been leading a Tolkien study. Um, we've been working our way through uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So we are on year three. Um, we are starting up again uh, November 6th, and um, we'll be starting the, the third volume called The Return of the King. And I'm giving you a heads up, because if you would like to join, and I highly recommend that you do, um, and, but you haven't read the first two books, then it um, gives you about a little over a month to catch up. <laughs> um, they are really interesting. They're really fun to read, um, but there's a lot to them. Um, there's a lot that we can draw from them. Um, In our discussions we've talked about current events and history and theology and all sorts of stuff. Um, There's just an amazing thing there. And if you think about it um, Pastor Tim's been talking uh, last several weeks, uh, he's been going through Daniel and talking about us uh, or talking about being in exile. Um, And we're You know, kind of as Sam and Frodo were talking about, we are in that same story that Daniel was in, centuries later. Um, His story is our story. We're part of it. Um, And so that's something that we look at. um, Just great discussions. Um, It's not a huge time commitment. Um, So like I said, we're starting November 6th uh, for this year. Um, We'll be done by the beginning of April. Um, What we do is we take usually about two chapters uh, per meeting, but we only meet every other Monday. Um, So it's not a huge time commitment. We have lots of fun, a lot lot of good discussions. We've got junior hires. We've got high schoolers. We have adults. Uh, We've even had people not from this church involved. Um, So if that's something you're interested in, um, please feel free to talk to me, and uh, we'll, we'll get you there. And then I know Pastor Ian talked last week. Um, this is the 10th year of the Three Eagle Half Marathon. Um, it's also the final year, um, just as our race committee, people have moved on. And um, so we just figured 10 years was a, was a good, um, good, uh, good, good stopping point for that. But every year for those uh, 10 years, our church has put on one of the aid stations. Um, so if that is something that you are interested in, please talk to me. Um, we also have other volunteer opportunities. It's a really, really um, cool experience just to help out the runners as they come through. A lot of our own church members uh, will be out there running. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun, especially a lot of our, our youth. It's, it's fun to watch the kids come through. Um, so and that's something that you are interested in. Um, please talk to me about that as well. Thank you.
1: We're going to continue our time of worship now, but if we do that, would you join me in prayer as we prepare our heart to worship God? Father, we... We just saying are so thankful that your grace is enough. That you would be gracious towards us even when we in no way deserved it. That you would you would love us, you would come to us when we were running away from you, that you would care about us enough to send your son to live among us to live without sin, to die in our place, to take our sin from us. We thank you. We praise you for your goodness, your love for us. Father, pray now as we sing, as we hear your word, as we fellowship together. We do all of that in light the fact that your grace truly is enough, that you are an almighty God who comes to each of us personally, who loves us each deeply. Father, would we desire to worship you for who you are? desire to see you glorified because you are the one who is all worthy of glory. Father, we we know that you love us, we know that you care for us. And I pray for those here who are who are hurting this morning, who are struggling this morning, who Are feeling ill this morning, whatever it may be, that you be at work in the lives of people who are hurting, who are struggling, that you would give us a deep abiding sense of your comfort, your presence alongside of us. You fill us each with a, an overwhelming conviction that whatever we're going through, whatever trials we face, you have a good purpose for them, and your grace is enough to face them. But Father, as we continue to sing now, would we sing out of an overflowing awe at who you are and what you've done for us in Jesus? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Do stand with us as we continue in worship.
1: Word that we could sing and bring glory to you forever and ever. Pray, in Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So, if you are a, a child in 4K through second grade, we're going to dismiss you in just a second to go downstairs for children's church. But before you go, I just want to say, if you are in that age group, of kids, we are glad you're here with us, and I just want to pray for you real quick before you head out. Father, we pray that you be with these kids now as they go. I pray they would love Jesus more because of what they hear this morning, that they would live lives that bring you honor and glory. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, kids, you are dismissed. Yeah. But Nate was reading that little excerpt from Tolkien before us, I'm struck by how much I resonate with, with Sam. Right? And like, he says in there like all he really desired the a garden to tend and it's like kind of a boring sounding life. Right? And like, that just speaks to me. Like, I am not what you would call like adventurous. Like I'm very content in my own little world. Like I like things that are familiar. I like things that are comfortable. And as a result, one group of people I don't always understand is like, people who really like traveling. Like, specifically, people who like, like traveling for the purpose of experiencing new cultures. Like, like for years, one of the most popular shows on CNN was the show called Parts Unknown with Anthony Bourdain. Like, the whole premise of the show was that Bourdain, who's a chef and an adventurer, he would, he would travel to Parts Unknown, he would go to these places off the beaten path, and he would go there to experience both the culture and, as a chef, the foods of that area. And sometimes he would eat, like, truly bizarre foods. And people would watch that show, and they would say things like, man, I wish I could do that. I wish I could have that life. But for me, there's, like, like n- nothing about that show that appeals to me. I'd rather be doing anything else. I just want to be in a place where like I know the language or I know what to expect where I can eat pizza and cheeseburgers and just be happy. Right? To me, like the idea of, of entering a new culture is incredibly stressful. Right? And to be clear, that's not to say that I think my culture is superior or better than any other culture. Like, and theoretically, I understand. Like the value in broadening your perspective and seeing how other people live. But I just find the whole experience of entering a new culture so stressful. And if I'm going on vacation, stress is not the feeling I want to experience. But I just I don't understand it. Right? But whether you're like me, like the familiar, like the comfortable, or you like, that sort of thing. You like new culture. The fact of the matter is that like for us as Christians, those who follow and love Jesus, we live each and every day immersed in a culture that is not our own. We've spent the last seven weeks going through the first half of the book of Daniel. And we've been talking about this idea of living as exiles. And the idea that I've really tried to drive home through those seven chapters is that like for us, that the people of God, like this world, is not our home. Right? We are citizens of heaven, not citizens first of any nation on earth. Right? And that means that the culture of the world should feel a bit foreign to us. And with the book of Daniel right, provided us with a model for, for how to live in a foreign feeling culture. Daniel kind of an example of how to navigate living in a foreign culture as an exile. But the problem is Daniel lived so long ago and in a culture that is so different than ours, it can be a little bit challenging to take his model and apply it to our lives. Like we don't have leaders who are insisting that we bow down to literal golden statues. We don't have leaders insisting that they pray only to them. We don't have leaders who are feeding a food that violates our conscience. We don't have leaders asking us to interpret their dreams for them. Maybe you do. I don't don't have that. (laughs) (laughs) So it's helpful, as I think the book of Daniel is, in providing a kind of a guide for exile. Sometimes it's nice to move beyond models and examples and and receive more kind of direct instruction on how to live. I think that's what the book of 1 of Peter offers us. Like Reading Daniel is kind of like, reading Daniel to learn how to live as an exile it's kind of like learning to cook by watching like Iron Chef or some other cooking show where master chefs prepare all these fancy dishes from all kinds of fancy ingredients. You can learn a lot about like, the premise of, and principles of cooking from watching those shows. And those principles can influence how you yourself cook, and it can make you a better cook. But in reality, you probably aren't going to like, recreate the exact dishes they cook on those shows in day-to-day life. Sometimes you don't need a master chef. Sometimes you just need a cookbook with step-by-step instructions on how to make chicken parmesan. And First Peter is a little bit like that cookbook. It's a little bit like how a step-by-step guide on how to live as exiles. So this morning we're going to wrap up our whole living as exiles series by looking at the book of 1 Peter. We're kind of focusing on First Peter chapter two verses eleven through seventeen, but we'll also take some cues and input from the rest of the book as well. With that in mind, would you look at First Peter chapter two? starting in verse 11 with me. Peter writes this. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourself, for the Lord's sake, to every human authority, whether to the emperor at the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. And honor the emperor. The overarching message Peter has for us here is that as exiles, people whose home is not on this earth, we are called above all else to live lives that glorify. That's the the primary calling of our life to live lives that bring honor and glory to our Creator and our Father. And then Peter, in the passage, just gives us some very clear instructions on how we can live lives that glorify God. So this morning, I just want to walk through the passage, kind of verse by verse, looking at the various instructions that Peter gives us. And think about the ways that those instructions should really... Impact how we live our lives. We start in verse eleven, where Peter says, "Again, dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles." Right? Here's that idea that we are exiles; we are foreigners on this earth. And as exiles, like, here's how you ought to live, right? dear friends. I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires. In other words, like. As exiled, therefore, you should fight sin in your life. And even this very idea that we need to fight sin is countercultural in our world. The world has to tell you, like, just be you. Just do what feels good. Do whatever feels right. Do whatever makes you happy. Like, be real. Just be you, and you can't go wrong. And if you do happen to do bad things, the world says, well. It's not really your fault. It's the fault of circumstances beyond your control. Or it's the fault of how you were raised. Or it's the fault of an unjust society. It's somebody else's fault. It's not your fault. No way you could have sin in you urging you to do wrong things. The idea that there is this sinful desire in us that we should try to resist that desire is not common, or popular in the world. But the Bible is clear, that we have sin in us. We have this built-in tendency to, to do things that we know we should not do, and to not do things that we know we should do. It's in us, from our father Adam, like we are prone to sin. We're prone to jealousy, unjust anger, Prone to selfishness, to lust, to deceitfulness, prone to laziness and gluttony. We are prone to sin. If you examine your heart, you examine your motives, you examine your behavior. I think even if it's not a popular message in the world, I you feel deep down that it's true. We are all sinners. And being a Christian doesn't mean that we no longer struggle with sin. It's not that if you just trust Jesus then you snap your fingers and your sinful desire is gone. If it did mean that, then Peter, who's writing to Christians, wouldn't have to write this verse. But he writes, like, I urge you to, to flee sinful desires. To abstain from sinful desires. We do still struggle with sin. And what should make Christians different from the world is not that we no longer struggle, but how we respond to that sin. As Christians, we don't simply accept our sinful tendencies as the way we are with no hope of change. As Christians, we see our sin and we fight against it, as Peter called it, to abstain from it. As exiles, as people who are different in the world, we are called to to abstain from our sinful desires, to fight the sin in our lives. And don't miss the last part of the verse, which is why. This is so important. Peter tells us to abstain from sin because sin and our sinful desires wage war against your soul. The reason we avoid sin is not because we have a severe, boring God who doesn't want us to have any fun. The reason we avoid sin is that sin wages war against our soul. Sin may feel good for a moment. It may give you some fleeting feeling of temporary happiness, but the long-term effect of giving in to sin is damage to your soul, to the deepest part of you. And the God who made us gave us these rules and laws to live by, not as hoops to jump through, but because as our creator he understands us better than we understand ourselves, and he knows what is good for us. He knows what is good for our soul. He wants our souls to be satisfied. He wants us to find fulfillment. And He knows the only place our soul will be satisfied, the only place we will find that fulfillment, is in Him and not in any sinful desire. That's why God gave us laws and rules and told us what sin is. He knows what is best for us. He wants what is best for us. And He wants us to abstain from things that are cheap shortcuts that will never satisfy so we wage war against sin. We we seek to flee from our sinful desire because doing so is best for our soul. So if you're here this morning, you examine your life, you think about what's going on in your life, and you just know right that there's there's some sin in your life. Right? There, there's something you know you shouldn't be doing. Something you know that, not honoring God about your life. Something you're doing that you know is hurting those around you. Something you know that is ultimately harming yourself. Like, If you look at your heart and examine yourself and you see the sin there, like, I just urge you to, to flee from that sin. You may say, I'm in too deep. There's no escape from this. I don't even know like what I can do. I can't tell anyone because like they'll judge me for it. Like, I'm too deep. There's no hope for me. You are feeling that way? Look around. Every one of us here is a sinner who have been saved by nothing more than the grace that found him trusting in Jesus. And none of us here have any right to judge you for your sin. Right? Because we've all been there too. We are all still there to some level. So if you're here, this morning, you feel a need to, to confess some sin in your life. If you need to bring your sin out into the light of the, of the step in fleeing from your sinful desires urge you to do that. Come talk to me or you can find someone here who you know and you trust and just confess what's eating at you, what sin is waging war against your soul so that you can receive grace and move past it. I urge you to confess, throw yourself to the feet of the cross, receive the grace that is freely given by Jesus. We just sang this morning. Our sins are many. They are. We all fight that. But his mercy is more. I just urge you, whatever you're facing, whatever you're dealing with this morning, receive that mercy. How when Jesus died on the cross. He, he died to take whatever sin you're fighting right now. Jesus died to take that sin upon himself and give you his righteous life in return. All of us here have, who have received that grace ought to be willing to hear other people confess their sins, even sins against us, and offer them forgiveness to people who ourselves have been greatly forgiven. I know the act of, of fighting sin, of abstaining from sinful desires, May seem hard, may seem nearly impossible in the moment. But what Peter promises here is that the long-term effect is so worth it. That your soul will feel freed from this war as you put sin to death in your life. So if you're here fighting sin, whether you're a Christian or not, like Remember that Jesus died to forgive those sins and fight that sin so that your soul may be satisfied in Him. To urge you right, flee from sin. The next instruction Peter gives us is found in, in verse 12 when he says this. He says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may... See your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. Just a couple of things for us to notice here. in The first. first and probably most obviously is that we are called to live good lives. We are called to do good. In fact, we're called to live such good lives that, that those who would desire to badmouth us, right? those who would desire to accuse us of Doing wrong can find no grounds for doing so. The call from Peter here is not just to live some kind of baseline level of goodness that's about as good or maybe just a touch better than people around us. The call is to live such good lives that even those who are looking for a way to get us in trouble, those who are looking for any reason to be mad at us, Those who are not inclined to give us even the slightest bit of benefit of the doubt can find nothing to accuse us of or charge us with. Rather, they'll see our good deeds and they'll understand that we do our good deeds because of God who, who loves us and who saves us. And in the end, they'll have no choice but to glorify God for our good works. If you're being honest, right, we all have some people in our lives who, for whatever reason, like we're more prone to kind of let off the hook or give the benefit of the doubt to than others. We have some people who will assume the best of them, will let them off the hook, but there's other people in our lives who, for whatever reason, just looking for reasons to get mad at them. We're just looking for things we can assume the worst about them. We don't want to give them the benefit of the doubt in anything. We have those people who just, we just want to find a reason to be mad. Like, certainly I have those people in my life. I'm not proud of that, but like, there's people who, like, every time I interact with them, like, I'm just looking for reasons to be annoyed. Looking for reasons to feel offended. Like, maybe you're better than me and you don't do that. I think we're probably all in there to some level or another. And what that means is that the reverse is also true. Right? that there are, there are people who know us who are inclined to give us the benefit of the doubt, but then there are also others who know us who are just trying to find things to criticize about us. And Peter's command here is to live such good life that even those kinds of people, even the people who want to find things to nitpick and criticize about you can't help but be moved to glorify God because of your good deeds. Would that be true of us? All of us. Would it be said of us that we live such good, upstanding, righteous lives that people, even people who for whatever reason, may not like us, can do nothing but glorify God when they look at our lives. We strive to live to that level of goodness. The second thing we, we see here in this verse is that those good lives are called to live, we call them among the pagans, right? Or among non believers. Called to live good life by interacting with those around us who, who don't believe in God and who don't know Jesus. We're called to be among non-believers. It can be kind of easy sometimes right, to, to cloister ourselves in Christian bubbles, right? To have Christian friend groups and spend time with our church friends and doing church activities and kind of inoculate ourselves inside this Christian sphere. But Peter here calls us to, to live lives among the pagans, or among those who don't know God and love Jesus. He calls us to be out in our communities living those good lives. He calls us to have friendships with our neighbors and our coworkers to the extent that they know us well enough that they can see our lives, see how we live, know about us. We should be among non-Christian. I just ask, are you living your life among non-believers, among non-Christian, to the extent that they know your life well enough, that they know how you live. That they know and they see your behavior, and hopefully it's good that causes them to glorify God. But are you living out among, in your community, among non-believers? Or are you kind of inoculating yourself inside a Christian bubble? Peter calls us to live among the pagans, among non-believers. The third thing we see here is that the, the end result of, of that good living, right, is not to win praise for ourselves, right? A lot of times we do good because we just want other people to see us doing good and then therefore think we're good people and whatever, right? But that's not the motivation. The the motivation is that people may glorify God. That by seeing our lives dedicated to our Creator, they would would turn and glorify God themselves. And the hope is that that some people would would see our good works, they would look at our lives, they would see our lives changed by Jesus, and they would and be motivated and compelled themselves to to turn to God and to love Jesus themselves. And hopefully that happens in our lives. But what Peter says here is that some people, no matter how good a life we live, they may not glorify God until the day Jesus returns, until the day God visits us. And in fact, Peter makes it clear throughout this book that in this time, in this place, as we live as exiles, our doing good may lead only to hardship for us. Our doing good may only lead others to, to persecute us and lead us into more trials and difficulties. What Peter tells us over and over and over again in this book is that just because we suffer for doing good we should doesn't mean we should stop our doing good. Our world, right, it's so Broken and and sinful and upside down. That sometimes even doing good only leads to to suffering or pain or persecution. But that should not stop us from doing good. And as an example, of that Peter holds up Jesus Himself. In Second Peter or First Peter two nineteen, Peter writes. It is commendable someone bared up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And a little later, in chapter 3, Peter writes, if you suffer for what is right, you are blessed do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened, but in your heart revere Christ as Lord. I would be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed by their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And then here again, he holds up the example of Christ. For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. You have put to death in the body, but he was made alive in the Spirit. Peter, point here that when when you're when you were the one who was doing wrong, when you were the one who was sinning, Jesus came and he died for you and he didn't let his, your sinfulness, your insults, your persecution of him stop him from doing what he was called to do. He came and he suffered, the righteous one for the unrighteous. When they hurled insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When Jesus suffered, he made no threat. Jesus did good and he was insulted. He did the good, and he suffered, yet he did not retaliate. It's that he just kept on doing good. And in that, he should be our model. Our call is to continue to do good among non-believers, even if we suffer for it. The last verse in chapter 4 says, So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator, And continue to do good. Even suffering should not stop us from doing good out in the world. Third instruction Peter gives is found in verses 13 and 14. He says this Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. So as exiles, we are called to, to submit to authority. And this, too, is a very countercultural idea. Much of the world is a very anti-authority, kind of stick-it-to-the-man kind of age. I think you, there are videos everywhere of people being wildly disrespectful to police officers, We don't like authority. We automatically rebel against it. But as Christians, as exiles, we're called, Peter says, to submit to authority. Here's the thing, right? It's really easy to submit to authority when we like it, when we agree with it. What happens when we, we don't agree? What happens when our authorities pass laws we don't like? What do we do then? A lot of times the answer is like, well, I, I can't submit to that guy. I don't like him. He's, he's a terrible person. Like, I'm not going to submit to that authority. Here's the thing. Right? When Peter writes this, He specifically mentions submit to the emperor. Do you know who the emperor was when Peter wrote those words? Nero. Like burning Christians as torches in a garden, Nero. And Peter writes, Submit to the Emperor. So every you may think of certain leaders, it's not that bad. not grounds for disrespect and disobedience. If Peter can write this about Nero, in fact, he ends verse 17, he says, honor the emperor. Honor Nero. Honor the guy who's burning Christians as torches in his garden. Now, there are limits to this. When laws are passed, where authority tries to force us to sin, forced to violate the Bible and God's teaching by the law, then the call to submit in that one particular case no longer applies. There's not that one case and only one it's a direct violation of the Bible. And again there's a difference even in like things being legalized and you yourself being forced to do something. This is talking about like you yourself being forced to do something. Yes, then absolutely resist. But outside of that, submit to authority. And choosing not to because you don't like the laws or you don't think you should have to or you don't like the guy in charge or the guy in charge doesn't meet your morality. Like it's not grounds for not submitting. It says submit For the Lord's sake, to every human authority. Exiles, we are called to submit to authority. The final instructions for living at the exile, Peter gives us here, found in verse 17. In verse 17, he says, Show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers. Fear God, honor the Emperor. There's a couple commands here. I just want to focus on, on two of them. First, right, to, to love the family of believers. Right, to love one another. Right? Like living as exiles is hard enough having the world against us. So beyond all that, what we need then is to overcome that. We need to love one another deeply. We need to care for fellow brothers and sisters in the family of faith. We need to love each other deeply. Peter says in chapter 4, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, he says, Kind of wrapping up this whole book about living as exiles and facing persecution, he says, Above all, love each other deeply. Why? Because everyone around you is great? No, he said, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others to faithful steward of God's very grace. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very word of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Will that be true of us? Would we encourage one another to live in exile by loving each other deeply? Not because we're all perfect, but because love <clears throat> covered a multitude of sins. love each other well? Would we show hospitality to one another without grumbling? Would we be in each other's tones? Would we be supporting one another as a way to encourage each other to live this life that Peter calls us to live? The final question I want to touch on here is that Peter calls us to fear Above all else, this is the motivation for all that we do. Ultimately, we understand that as exiles, this world not being our home, we have a, a better home we are headed to. We have a God who is ruling over that home and who we will one day live under and worship forever and ever. The God who is worthy of all honor and praise and and fear in the sense of respect and awe and wonder, all that he has done. So when we are living in this fallen, broken world and we're looking for reasons and strength to fight against it and to go on. what our constant reminder, our constant refrain be that This world is not how God intended it. This world is not how it will always be, but that one day Jesus will return. He will wipe away all sin. He will make the world new. And when He comes, would He be found if people who have not given in to the ways of the world, but people who live lives that fear God and honor Him. Leave here like this. Like gathering here on Sunday morning, to the special and unique time where we can come together as the people of God to encourage one another and equip one another and be filled up by love for one another. And we're going to take this gathering lightly. That equips us to go out into the world we will face temptations, where we will need to fight sin. We will go out seeking to do good, but knowing other may seek to speak poorly of us. We'll go out into a world where we're called to submit to authority that's not always easy to submit to. We'll go out into a world where we're called to love one another, even when people sin against us. The only way we do that is by remembering that we are exiled, that this world is not our home. That Jesus came to this fallen, broken world to make a way for us to find our way back to our true home. That He will one day return and He will usher in a new heavens and a new earth where we will live forever in our true home that will meet all our heart's desires, will satisfy all our wants. Would we, until that day comes, would we live as exiles looking forward to that day and living in fear of God? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you and we stand in awe of who you are. You are the God who spoke and the universe came into existence. Trillions upon trillions of stars came into being because of your voice. You are the God who holds the universe together You're the God who sees all that takes place. But you are beyond anything we can imagine. You are holy. You are righteous in ways that we cannot even begin to comprehend. And yet, You love each one of us individually. You loved us enough that you sent your only Son to die for us. To suffer on our behalf. To to suffer without retaliating. To be insulted without giving it back. You loved us. live lives and people who have trusted and believed in Jesus, who see you for who you are. Would we live lives that are faithful to you? Lives that call the non-believers around us to faith in Jesus. Would we live lives that are marked by resisting sin and confessing our sin confident that you have already forgiven us? Would we be quick to forgive those who have sinned against us knowing how much you've forgiven us? Would we love those around us well knowing that love covers a multitude of sin? Father, would the world look at our lives and be so amazed by our goodness, by our righteousness, that they can't help but glorify you. Father, would you make these things true of us by your power that lives in us through the power of the Holy Spirit? Praise God in Jesus' name. Amen. Would so you go from here? Would you go living at exile? Would you go living good lives that the world may see your life and glorify God because of it? You are dismissed.